from Wondery. I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. Today, we wrap our extended series on the battle between Netflix and Blockbuster. So much has evolved in the streaming world this past year, we had to revisit the topic. And with media giants like Disney and Apple entering the arena, things are only getting more crowded and complicated. Now, there's been a lot of headlines in the news, so we want to unpack what this all means for you, the consumer. We're excited to have Rich Greenfield of BTIG back with us. He's one of the most well-known media futurists and has been watching this industry closely from the beginning. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Rich Greenfield, great to have you with us again on Business Wars. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Hey, you know, uh, this battle between Netflix and Blockbuster and all the new players in this streaming world, I guess that's what launched our show more than a year ago. At the time, we wrapped our series with Netflix's looming loss of all Disney content. Big deal. So much has changed in the landscape since then. I mean, all these legacy media companies want their own streaming service. Spending is through the roof. There's even more bulking up in partnerships, which we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, your March of the Penguins analogy to survive the winter from our last interview. I mean, it really, it, it really rings true, don't you think? I think absolutely. When you look at the, the moves that have been made to consolidate and the future consolidation that's likely. I mean, everyone is talking now about CBS and Viacom and, mm. you know, the pieces somewhat maybe some people call them the free radicals. I think John Malone coined that term uh, that, you know, the remaining companies that are out there, we're going to have to get kind of gobbled up to survive. And, you know, it still holds true that nobody's going out of their box. You know, you haven't seen Disney by Spotify. You haven't seen Comcast by um, Twitter or Snapchat. You know, the things that would pivot these companies into the future, none of that has happened. This is, you know, Comcast buying Sky, which is a satellite platform, and it's a very well-run company with some great underlying technology. Mm -hmm. But it's basically extending what Comcast already did well, which is distribute video content to people in the U.S. Now they can do the same in Europe. But it's through satellite, right, not right. through the internet. It's not, it, it is just a different form of acquisition than something that would really be a game changer. And that's uh, why I think that analogy of penguins huddling to survive the coming storm. And, you know, you see it. The change in consumer behavior, you know, I think what's been most remarkable in the past 12 months has been the collapse of TV ratings. So if you look at linear TV ratings, we have never seen a drop like this. And on top of that, we've never seen cord cutting. So people literally giving up on their cable and satellite services. We have never seen this level of disconnections. And I think that's really showing you how much is changing from how the TV world is shifting to the Internet at an accelerating pace. Yeah. I mean, you think about some of the biggest news to break uh, uh, since we last spoke. I'm talking about uh, Disney 
taking full control of Hulu. And granted, it'll be another five years or so before that happens, but actually, you know, uh, completes. But prior to that deal, Disney, Comcast and Fox each used to own about a third of the streaming service, right? And even Warner Media, which is now part of AT&T, owned 10 percent. Yeah. Well, there you go. And and Fox was obviously bought out by Disney, so it was really left between just Disney and Comcast. So now that Disney's trading billions for Comcast's Hulu stake, what does all this mean for regular people who just want to watch TV? Well, look, I think the good news for consumers is that, you know, you nailed it on the head, David, when you said this is still going to take five years to play out in terms of the actual sales. It's basically It's basically like selling your house five years in advance. The good news is for consumers is you're still going to get that house for the next five years or at least several years into the future, Mm -hmm. meaning shows that are on NBC. So take something like a show like This Is Us. That's still going to be on Hulu for years to come. And the beauty of Hulu is you can basically get Hulu for free. I mean, if you're a Spotify subscriber, they throw in Hulu. Uh, If you're certain wireless companies throw in Hulu access. If you have to pay, you can pay as little as five ninety nine. And on Black Friday last year, they did a dollar for a, per month for a year promotion. So the ability to have very cheap access to all of the non-sports content on broadcast TV remains really compelling. And sure, you could go out and buy an antenna and get all of this content for free. But the reality is on demand whenever you want it with a very light ad load versus traditional television, that's the beauty of Hulu. And you're basically going to have a Hulu that has all of that content for at least the next several years. And so that's a big win for consumers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The deal was announced during the TV industry's annual Upfronts presentation. I suppose we should uh, get you to explain to the audience, you know, our listeners, what Upfronts are and why this timing was important. Well, each year, going back decades, the TV industry basically shows off all of their new shows. So if you're ABC or you're CBS or Fox or NBC, you're showing the advertisers what are the new shows and you're trying to get them to commit their dollars today for shows that will air sometime between September and May next year. Mm -hmm. And so that's basically, it's the upfront. So you're selling the ad dollars upfront for future shows and you're trying to excite them. Yeah. What was so um, interesting about this year's timing is you had things like Hulu playing out in the midst of all of this in terms of the change of control. Right. But even more importantly, each of these major companies, leave Fox off for a second, but certainly if you were to look at the other major companies, they're all talking about their streaming services. I mean, the first... The first thing that was talked about at the ABC upfront was that they consolidated Hulu. At the NBC upfront, they're talking about the streaming service they're launching in a year's time. At the Warner Media upfront, which is part of AT&T, they're talking about their streaming service. So it's like all you're hearing about day after day is streaming services and the excitement over those streaming services in what is supposed to be, hey, these are our new shows that are going to air on broadcast TV in a year. And I think it's just recognition that this concept of watching TV shows on Tuesday night at eight o'clock, it's not dead. It's going to be around for a long time, but it is fading at a very, very fast rate. Yeah. And as people's interest in live TV fades, the question is, if you're not a diehard sports fan, why do you even pay a hundred dollars a month to Comcast or Charter or DirecTV? And I think that's the, the seismic change that this entire industry is facing. 
Well, now that's a that's a question because sticking with that model, I mean, you think about. Uh, I mean, most of us subscribe to some kind of streaming service. I mean, if, if you if you stream at all, you you subscribe to it. Given that the model is different from the old broadcast model, which was part of the pitch in the upfronts, if everything's going towards streaming, why still advertise or pitch to traditional advertisers the way that you used to in traditional broadcast days? You can still aggregate a lot of eyeballs. So it's still, you know, the while the number of people watching This Is Us pales in comparison to the number of people that watched Seinfeld, let alone MASH, uh, many decades ago, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of places that you can aggregate a lot of eyeballs anymore. You know, you just think about most of the platforms that we're talking about. You know, we started this whole show talking about Netflix. And I think even when we were finishing up the original series, David, you were asking about kind of HBO's launch of HBO Go and right, HBO Now right. and that kind of their over-the-top service. But what's interesting when you talk about things like HBO Now or Amazon Prime or now Apple's getting into the video space, which has happened over the past year, all of these are ad-free services. So I won't say the best because I, best is a very hard-to-define word, but certainly the most ambitious projects for television are all happening on platforms that don't have ads. Mm -hmm. And that is really putting the advertiser in a tough spot. So yeah, they don't like the fact that I think 70% of the Emmy-nominated comedies and dramas this year were not on ad-supported TV. Yeah. Just let that stir and sit and think about that for a second. (laughs) You know, 10 years ago, or certainly 20 years ago, it was 100% were Emmy-nominated, were on ad-supported television. So you've had this tremendous change in the industry. And I think the advertiser is in a really tough place of they either have to buy fewer eyeballs Mm -hmm. or not reach consumers. And so they're basically paying more and more for less and less reach. And that's, that works for a while. Eventually it all comes crumbling down. And I think that's, you know, you look at companies like YouTube and you look at companies like um, Facebook and Amazon, they're all rapidly expanding on their advertising ambitions. They're trying to do more in video. I mean, look at Amazon bidding on Thursday night football streaming rights, right? And so these companies are trying to enter the TV ad space. YouTube TV is going for ad dollars from the TV ecosystem. So I think more and more, you know, the advertiser is getting alternatives, but they're still earlier stage. And so I think somewhat of it is things change slowly until they don't. And I think what we're seeing right now is that, sort of the tipping point for the ecosystem of television mm-hmm. and the internet as usual, David, is winning. This is definitely a transitional period. That's that's for sure. Uh, Netflix fans, I know, have, have heard about the tug of war happening with shows like Grey's Anatomy and, and Friends and The Office. And uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, is reporting that nearly 40 percent of Netflix's viewing minutes come from the three suppliers of those hit shows. And each of those suppliers is launching its own streaming service. Now, Netflix is still king in terms of subscribers, but I mean, surely they must be looking over their shoulders. Are they worried? Well, I think they would be naive not to believe that when you have blown up the industrial complex of TV, that there would be a response. Yeah. But what Netflix has done, you know, literally seven years ago, Netflix spending on original programming was zero. Mm. You know, there was no House of Cards. There was no Orange is the New Black, let alone Stranger Things, The Crown, and a list that now, I mean, if you just type the word, when you, if you were to go onto Netflix right now and you type the word Netflix into the search box, it shows you all the shows that they 
th- that are their shows versus third party shows. Mm-hmm. So you, you you wouldn't see something like Friends, but you would see something like The Crown. What's amazing now is how long that list is of right. shows that they either own a piece of or own all of. And that is basically their planning process. And so they built their business off of a lot of other people's content. They've built up their brand. They've built up their product. And now the real push is to create more and more of their own content. And so Stranger Things is theirs. Mm-hmm. That is their show. And, you know, the reality is the three companies that you mentioned, everyone is looking to launch their own service. The reality is, you know, Warner Brothers this year, for instance, yes, they're launching their own Warner Media streaming service, probably called HBO Max is what the industry is sort of buzzing about. It'll be a kind of a premium product on top of HBO. But Warner Brothers has 11 projects on Netflix Hmm. this year. You know, maybe that curtails over time, but all 11 of those shows for the life of those shows will be on Netflix. Yeah. And so it's really important to remember that just because you launch your own streaming service, Netflix may not, maybe that 11 doesn't go to 15, Mm -hmm. but they certainly have a tremendous amount of access to content from these companies. I mean, all those Disney Marvel shows, think Jessica Jones, those are Netflix shows. Just because Disney launches their own streaming service, they can't take Jessica Jones and last year's Punisher and just put them on Disney+. Plus. Netflix owns and controls that content and that IP for years. And so I think Netflix has done a really good job planning for what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But then it's also really important to remember that there's going to be a wide array of arms dealers. Because as much as we talk about the Disney Pluses of the world and the NBC services, there are plenty of Sonys, Paramounts, and independent production studios all over the world that you and I may never even have heard of that are more than willing to sell content to the highest bidder. Right. And remember, what Netflix has shown is that a show like um, Fauda, which is an Israeli original, that they help co-finance with Yes in Israel, that has become a hit show in the U.S. But that's not controlled by a company trying to do a global subscription video-on-demand service like Disney. There are so many shows like that. The BBC co-finances The Bodyguard, which is a great show if you've never seen it, but The Bodyguard is co-financed with Netflix, and so the BBC owns it in the in the UK. Netflix owns it everywhere else. And so as much as people talk about content being cut off, there are so many places creating content that are not trying to create their own services. And so there, there aren't a lot of shows. I mean, when, you know, I, I can't vouch for or verify the statistic that you mentioned from the Wall Street Journal. What I would say is that 44 of the top 50 shows on Netflix, this is something they've said publicly, Right. 44 of the 50 most watched series are Netflix-owned in whole or in part series. So there's lots more episodes, though, when you think about it, something like Friends. So if you talk about viewing time, that would be a different metric. There's a lot more episodes of Friends than there are of Stranger Things. One went for a decade, and one has only been around for a couple of years. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, the reality is as Netflix's successful series have more and more seasons and as they grow this overall amount of original programming, you start to see a shift away from third party viewership to their own viewership. But that obviously does that doesn't happen overnight. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50 percent off high performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, 
Get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S. And Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. I'm thinking about how this all could play out for consumers. For instance, I mean, you think about the risk of one of these big programming suppliers, for example, pulling back their shows and losing viewers if the launches don't go well. Or, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if you think this battle for show rights might potentially end up with a kind of a great splintering and consumers really don't have, you know, one or two or even three sources. I mean, we're basically back to cable all over again, except we, we, it's, it's not consolidated and, and uh, people are sort of, uh, for, for, for all the choice that they have, there's a little bit of confusion in the marketplace. Is that possible? Yes and no. So let's, let's try to unpack this in two pieces. First of all, I would argue that in the old cable bundle, they had almost no choice. And so right now there are 85 million. At the peak, there were 100 million people paying for the multi-channel bundle, 80, 90, $100 a month with almost no flexibility. So I would argue there's probably only 40 to 50 million households in the U.S. that really are passionate sports fans. Mm -hmm. But if you think about New York, where I live, I'm paying for my cable bill. I have to pay $9 for ESPN and ESPN2, $8 for MSG and MSG2, Six fifty for the Yes Network, four dollars for SNY, two dollars for FS1. If you're not a sports fan, and there's no way all eight million people in New York area are diehard sports fans, but whether you like it or not, thirty dollars of cost was going to the sports networks, and you had no choice but to pay for that if you wanted to have television. Right, right. So I would actually look at it in many ways as you cut the cord. As a non-sports fan goes, you know what? I don't need to be a subscriber to Charter in New York or Verizon Fios in New York. If I need to watch something, I'll watch it on Hulu. I'll get Netflix. I'll get Disney+. Plus. I'm going to save a tremendous amount of money. I'm no longer subsidizing. It's like buying a cup of coffee. You don't buy a cup of coffee if you don't want the coffee. Here, you've been forced <laughs> to buy everything right, in the bundle, sure. whether you were interested in it or not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like you pick and choose the apps, I assume, on your phone. You don't just put apps on your phone that you have no interest in. There may be a few that are pre-downloaded, but you pick and choose. This is giving consumers the choice that they've never had but always wanted. But, of course, if I if I want a particular app that's only in the Apple App Store, uh, I, I might be persuaded, depending on how much I want that particular content, I might be persuaded to buy a, buy an iPhone instead of a Galaxy, for example. Sure. I mean, I'm wondering if ultimately if yeah, and assuming that content is still king, which is what I'm sort of uh, I'm sort of thinking is still the case. 
if perhaps you'll reach a sort of peak cord cutting at some point, or perhaps people will start to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's such confusion out there right now in the streaming services. I got to subscribe to this, 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 and this. Well, I don't know. I mean, am I still saving money? You've probably had some of these conversations. Well, yeah, because I think there's an interesting, you know, it, this would be great. I mean, I'd love to see your face as we talk about all of this, because it's like when you think about what's going on right now, you know, the, 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 the legacy media executive who is praying that this all doesn't come apart under their watch. Mm-hmm. They're, the, the number one thing they say to me is, God, if you try to put all these things together, you end up spending more than you would spend in the bundle. Okay, factually, that could technically be true, although getting up to 80 to to $100 a month with all these services would be very hard. But let's leave that aside for a second. Okay. Two things. One, all the content that we're talking about isn't in the bundle. So, you know, if you're happy with CBS's 8 o'clock to 11 o'clock primetime lineup, go ahead. But if you want to watch Stranger Things or you want to watch Lord of the Rings or you want to watch the morning show on the new Apple service, none of that is in the bundle. So yeah. the stuff that is most ambitious project-wise – is not in that bundle. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't really solve your problem. Two, and I think this is really important, you don't have to subscribe to these things for the full year. If, you wanna, if you're a huge Game of Thrones fan, HBO Now, with one click of a button, you can cancel on your iPhone right now and cancel your HBO Now subscription. You don't have to literally, think about the old world, canceling Comcast or whoever, wherever you, know, you live, think about your cable operator, canceling service meant being on hold for an hour, <laughs> yeah, being right. transferred around, uh-huh. arguing with the person, and sure. then the ultimate insult of taking a day off from work to actually go return the equipment and stand online at a service center after you unscrewed all the boxes. <laughs> so now you can sign up and yeah. cancel Netflix or Amazon or any of these things at will. Sign up for a few months. You're a huge basketball fan. Sign up for the March Madness by signing up for Sling for a month and then cancel. No one's, there's no friction to canceling. And so the consumer has been really empowered. Yeah. And so I think when you say, if you added up all these things for an entire year, sure, it could be a lot of money, but you don't have to be a subscriber to these things for the full year. If you really want to watch Mandalorian on Disney Plus, but you don't care about the animated library, sign up for a few weeks and then cancel your Disney Plus. It's really mm-hmm. easy to cancel. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good point. I have to ask you about something that's happening. I mean, there's word that NBC Universal streaming service launching in 2020, and maybe you've heard something about this, but some people are saying that it seems to be intentionally being sort of hobbled, almost made worse than its pay TV version, almost like they're fighting back against this cord cutting thing we're talking about. You think that's you think that's real? You think that's a a, a strategy? And and if so, is it valid? I think you have to think about Comcast. Is what's their core business? They're a cable company, right? First and foremost, their biggest business is being a a provider. I shouldn't say a cable company. They're a connectivity company, right? Like they are delivering your broadband to 20 plus million consumers. So they want to lock you in to being a subscriber to Comcast. So what their kind of ingenious plan is, is much like Amazon Prime. So if you think about Amazon Prime, you signed up, I assume, for shipping. You didn't sign up because you wanted to watch Mrs. Meisel, which is a great show, but it's probably not why you signed up for Amazon Prime. But it was a value-add enhancement to your Amazon Prime shipping, two-day shipping membership. Yep, true. What Comcast is doing is essentially the same thing, saying, hey, you subscribe to Comcast for video service, so you take the 80 to to $100 a month bundle. We're going to give you, if you're a subscriber, we're going to give you incremental value-add. So we're going to give you incremental content just for our subscribers at no additional cost. If you're not a subscriber... 
you're going to have to pay for it. Some of the stuff like live TV that we make available because you're already a, a cable customer, you may not have access to. But you can certainly pay for this as a standalone cord cutter, but the best version of this will be as a value add for our members. And if I think, you know, if you think about um, the what the pitch is, it's coming from the fact that their core business is cable television. I mean, that's where they came from. And so they're trying to lock you in see, to that yeah. legacy product. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's not something that, you know, it's a very different product from what Disney's doing. If you think about what Disney's basically saying, they're saying, hey, please subscribe to Disney Plus, but we also need you to keep subscribing to the bundle because we make a tremendous amount of our money on ESPN and the Disney Channel and ABC. They're trying to have their cake and eat it too. Comcast is basically saying, we're just going to try to give you more value to keep you in that old ecosystem. Totally different approaches. Yeah, totally different. I have to uh, ask you about a couple of uh, specific shows here, and it's always fun to talk about uh, these individual shows. Big Bang Theory had its series finale, and I'm curious what you think about the future of the studio audience sitcom, which has been such a staple, certainly for broadcast and and, and, and cable. Uh, you know, many sort of see it as outdated, but Big Bang Theory has consistently topped ratings, even surpassing Game of Thrones earlier this month. I'm wondering if the TV sitcom might be significant in this battle we're talking about between cable and new media. What's somewhat ironic about the upfronts this week beyond the streaming conversations is that the two biggest shows, you know, in terms of zeitgeist country, maybe even parts of the world, if you think about it, the two biggest shows that people talk about, Big Bang Theory and Game of Thrones, are both gone this year. And there may be ultimately sequels or spinoffs or things like that, but these two pieces of kind of core American pop culture are ending. And, you know, look, there's going to be lots of examples of great content for lots of platforms. I don't think uh, what... Big Bang, you know, I, I think there'll be lots of great comedies that come out of other platforms over time. But, you know, the reality is when you think about the profitability of a show, you know, Big Bang was a show that was and it generated an insane amount of money for Warner Brothers. I'm not sure we're ever going to see shows that are as profitable as what happened. You know, the, the whole industrial system of, of television, linear television, generated profits to the entire to the studio to actors and actresses that we, we may never see again. So I think it, it's somewhat, you know, interesting to think about, will we ever see the level, the types of, uh, of shows and, and as broad a shows as something like Big Bang was? And we'll see, you know, I think the reality is the beauty of the streaming services is that everyone can watch what they're interested in. You're not limited by what's on at eight o'clock on Thursday or yeah. nine o'clock on Tuesday. And so yeah. that freedom probably means more fractionalization of viewership. Because first of all, it doesn't matter whether you watch Ozarks today or you watch Ozarks in a year, especially when there's no advertising involved. They just want you to enjoy and be a subscriber. Mm -hmm. It's not about current day viewership for Netflix. Right. But then look at Bird Box. It wasn't the best movie, but 80 million households around the world watched what it was an okay movie because it was on Netflix and there was no incremental cost. And right, so when you sure. get something, when you, when you offer content at no incremental cost, you can reach a mass audience. And I think that's the interesting thing is no one's ever had the reach of Netflix to be able to reach 150 million people with a new piece of content with a click of a button. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, but it's, it's fascinating to me to see Netflix go from, in a sense, strength to strength. I mean, think about the Oscars. 
is all this drama around Roma taking home three wins and, and uh, seven additional nominations, including one for Best Picture. And I'm sure you remember that there were some pretty big names in Hollywood that uh, seemed to be rather displeased. There was Steven Spielberg, for example. And I know that you know he, he wasn't exactly saying Netflix should be axed from awards consideration, but a lot of people sort of saw it that way, a little bit of sour grapes from the folks who make the uh, movies for the big screen. Not entirely accurate, but... I wouldn't the- say sour grapes. I think sour grapes is probably an incorrect term. I think it's more of... Nobody- How would you characterize it? Fear. Fear, change. Yeah. You know, the the thought to many, I remember what happened, what people thought of Netflix releasing all the episodes at once without ads. Crazy nonsense. People are going to sign up for the weekend and then cancel the next day. There's no way they can do this. They're going to go out of business. They're going to go bankrupt. They're never going to be bigger than, right. you know, I remember them saying HBO max out at 30 million subscribers. Netflix will never be more than 30 million subscribers. Now there's 60 million subscribers in the U.S. alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the movie business, you have to see a movie in the movie theater. My kids don't see it that way. First of all, I don't even see it that way. Yeah. I want to watch great content. I don't care whether it's two hours or spread over 10 episodes. I want great content. And if whoever can deliver me great content at the best price value in an experience that is awesome— And I think that's the part that, you know, we talk a lot about streaming services and all of this competition and all the new services that are launching. And you mentioned some of the content that may get pulled. Mm -hmm. It's not just about the content. What everyone needs to think about is the experience of watching on Netflix, every language, everywhere around the world, you click a button and it just works. There's no buffering. That experience is really hard to duplicate at scale. Yeah. And there are thousands of people. I would think of like... Engineers are the new kind of content in many ways. They don't get valued like that in Hollywood, but engineering is just as important as content. And that's going to be a major theme over the next couple of years is are these media companies, as they go into streaming, are they prepared to make the level of investment in technology and engineers that companies like Netflix and Google and Facebook have? Very interesting. Well, I have to ask, I mean, since we're almost out of time and you've been awfully generous uh, with your time uh, with us, uh, what else are you going to be watching for for this year? Well, I mean, you've got, if you think about what's going to happen over the next 12 months, probably the the, sort of the three biggest things that your listeners, that certainly I'll be thinking about, but I think your listeners should be thinking about is obviously how, how big and bold is Apple's launch? You know, they're coming later this year. They haven't talked about pricing. I think there'll be an extended free trial. But, you know, Apple's a company with more cash on hand than, you know, most of the media companies are in total size. Mm -hmm. So if Apple wants to go big in content, they certainly have the capability. I think the question will be how big, how fast, what does it look like? Remember, Netflix is going to spend $15 billion on content this year. Apple's going to spend a couple. Disney will spend, you know, maybe a couple of billion. Right. How fast do these companies ramp their investment, especially the ones that have deep balance sheets? You're seeing Amazon do a Lord of the Rings project. Biggest, probably most expensive TV show ever greenlit coming to Amazon Prime. You know, no more little Mrs. Meisels. And it's a great show, but it's a little show. As these big tech platforms go after big, ambitious TV projects that are almost like movie-like Game of Thrones-like, 
what does that mean to viewership engagement? Are people talking about Apple TV Plus the way they talk about Netflix in a few years? I think that's something we're thinking a lot about. And then, of course, you've got, you know, how does HBO in a post Game of Thrones kind of what happens to it, especially as the new AT&T tries to kind of build upon it? And how does that kind of growing pains work or not work out over the next couple of years? It is so much fun to get a chance to talk with Rich Greenfield. He's a media futurist and media and tech analyst at BTIG Research. Rich, a pleasure. Thanks so much for taking out uh, uh, taking a few minutes out of your day to talk with us for Business Wars. The, the one thing I know, David, that we'll all be doing over the next couple of years is watching a lot of Netflix. <laughs> I think that's true. I think that's true. Thanks again, Rich. Thank you. That was my conversation with media futurist Rich Greenfield. He's also a media and tech analyst at BTIG Research in New York City. Next time on Business Wars, we head to St. Louis, where a battle is brewing between Adolphus Bush, titan of Anheuser-Busch, and a little family-owned operation out of Milwaukee named Miller. They're about to come to blows over a new beer based on a lager from the Czech city of Budweiss. They call it Budweiser. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. New episodes come out every Monday and Wednesday. We invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll also see some offers from our sponsors, and we hope you'll support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. Another way to support us is by answering a short survey at wondery.com survey. And tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. I'm your host, David Brown. This episode was produced by Jacqueline Kim, engineered by Marcelino Vialpando, mixing by Bay Area Sound. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Jenny Lauer-Beckman is our editor and producer. The executive producer is Marshall Louie, and our program was created by Hernan Lopez for Wondering. Hi, I'm Brooke. And I'm Arisha. And we're the hosts of Even the Rich. So I want you to imagine you're about to go on stage and perform in front of 30,000 cheering fans. You pop a cough drop, take some deep breaths, tell yourself, you can do this. And that's when your brother steps into your dressing room. He tells you the police are here. Either you clean up your act or you'll get arrested. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But you just laugh and say, good. Because the you in this story is Madonna. You're going to give the police a moment they'll never forget. Ooh, so what happens next? If you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the newest season of Even the Rich, The Making of Madonna. Follow on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.